All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. This is Nani from the Filipino American Woman Project podcast show. And I have our founder, producer, and other co-host, Jen Amos, here with us. Hello, Jen. Hey, Nani. It's great to be back. (laughs) Yay. Before we get started, we want to feature another Panay visionary that you guys have recommended to us. So this Panay visionary that we're featuring today actually nominated herself to be for a shout out on the show. Her name on Instagram is at Kreya.l. Her name is Sherelle Marie. And Jen, do you want to tell us a little about Sherelle? Yes. And Sherelle, if you are listening to this and we are butchering your name, we are so sorry. In fact, we are so sorry that we would love for you to come on the show and correct us. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, please do. (laughs) Yeah. But I also just want to give you a shout out for nominating yourself. I think that as Filipino American women, we are the first to put other people first, you know, and put ourselves second. And so if you are so confident in yourself, and you know that you have a duty to represent, yeah, totally nominate yourself. Like if you think you're a Panay visionary, we want to hear from you. And so I want to let's go ahead and talk a little bit about Sherelle. Maybe it's Cheryl. Cheryl. Okay. Um, Anyway, so let's talk a little bit about Sherelle Marie. And once again, feel free to let us know if we butchered your name. This is really an invitation for you to be on our show so we can interview you. But (laughs) Sherelle Sherelle Marie is a Filipino-American woman. She's a mental health advocate in the Bay Area. So another Bay Area representative. She is the founder of uh, the IG handle UR Collective. And so collective actually uh, doesn't have an I at the end in collective. I'll be sure to provide that in the show notes so you can look her up. And what she does with UR Collective is she encourages women to be mindful of their mental health through creativity. And so the way that she does that, I'll give you one example on how she does that. Let me just look up her website here. So some of the things that she does to promote mental health through creativity is brush lettering doing a floral watercolor workshop and jewelry making. And so I think that's pretty cool. What do you think about that, Nani? I think that's super cool and something I would love to to try out. (laughs) Yeah. And I was just thinking that there are so many ways to handle mental health. You know, the standard way that a lot of us know is to seek out therapy. I think the up and coming popular way is through Uh, the cannabis industry with CBD oil and vaping and what have you. And I think this is another way, you know, to work through your mental health is through creativity. I know for myself, I had mentioned this in previous shows, but this year I found out that I have mild depression and the way that I deal with it is through podcasting. (laughs) And I feel like my mild depression has reduced significantly, or at least has been managed because of what I get to do and what I get to create through this podcast show. So I think it's just a really cool thing that Cheryl Marie is doing with UR Collective over there in the Bay Area, you know, really promoting mental health through creativity. I just wanted to add that uh, the way that I deal with my mental health, or I guess could say try to balance my mental health is creatively. I'm very much a right brain functioning person rather than a left brain functioning person. So the way that I exercise my creative release is through my best friend always jokes because she tells me that my blog is 
like where I do my raw kind of unfiltered venting. And then this podcast is where those kind of processed thoughts come out. (laughs) And so those are my two ways. And also I'm really into anything creative. I love to do artwork. I love to, well, that's about it. I like art and writing pretty much. I'm down with it all. Cool, cool. So yeah, shout out to Cheryl Marie for one, nominating yourself and being the boss lady that you are to do that. I just think that's so awesome. And if you're listening in a couple of things, if you consider yourself a Panay visionary, please give yourself a shout out and share what your vision is as a Panay. Or if you do know of any Panay visionaries, please comment in, check out our show notes. You can, there's two things that we want you to do to mention the name and then also describe why you consider this person a Panay visionary. And then I think another thing I just want to add is uh, because mental health is such a common topic on our shows, uh, we would love for you to comment in and share how do you manage your mental health? Like, are you a creative person? Are you, uh, do you like to read? Do you like to, I don't know. Yeah. Just let us know. <laughs> let us know what are some ways that uh, you, you know, manage your mental health and everything. Cause I'm very curious to know, I think everyone has their outlets. Maybe they exercise or they sing or they, you know, what have you. And uh, would love to share a little bit more of that and give you a shout out uh, possibly on the next episode. With that said, happy Filipino American history month, everyone. And let's go ahead and get started on our episode. Welcome to the Filipino American Women Project, a podcast show that shares stories and life lessons told by individuals living or have lived in America that are of Filipino descent and identify as female. I'm your host, Jen Amos, a fellow Filipino American woman, and I'm excited for you to join us. Let's get started. All right. Hi, everyone. Jen Amos here with the Filipino American Woman Project podcast show. And as always, I have my co-host with me, Nani Dominguez. Nani, welcome back. Hey, everybody. And we are stoked because you don't know this, but we tend to juggle with different time zones whenever we do the show. And today we actually have a fellow Filipino American woman uh, calling in from Madrid, Spain. So get this. Uh, Let me go ahead and read her bio for you because it's really cool. I'm really excited to just jump in and start talking to her. So here we go. The story finder stories equals visibility equals diversity and equals equality. And it's Kay Fabella's mission to lead a movement for women of color business owners who are ready to step into the spotlight and grow their audience of raging fans and paying clients. Kay Fabelia launched her business as the StoryFinder in 2014 and created a bilingual English-Spanish brand that reached an audience in 27 countries in less than three years. She was featured in Fast Company, Thrive Global, Huffington Post, and El País. She leveraged her experience as a Filipina-American expat based in Madrid, Spain, to help solopreneurs to Fortune 500 companies grow their visibility through the power of storytelling. She now teaches her simple three-step visibility system to entrepreneurs who want to learn to grow profitable businesses with integrity, amplify their platform, and reach the clients who need their talents the most. Her first book, Rewrite Your Story, How to Find Who You Are and Thrive After Burnout, will be available this year. Kay Fabiella, welcome to the show. 
Oh my goodness. I think you may be the first person to ever pronounce my name properly on a podcast. It's so exciting. (laughs) Awesome. I love it. I, before I start any show, it's so important to me to ask people how they want me to pronounce their names. If anyone ever like cares to be a better people person, there's a book that I highly recommend called how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie. And that was essentially like my Bible, like going through college when a good friend like introduced it to me. And one of the, one of the rules it says in there, it says that the sweetest sound anyone can hear is their name. Like when I was living in San Diego, I was surrounded with a lot of, uh, like a lot of the Latino community. And so they actually would not say my name as Jen. They call me Jane. And then they'd call me like almost when I typically pronounce my name as Amos. So I think it's just extra courteous and nice when you ask someone ahead of time, because I could have assumed that your name is pronounced K Fabella, but I always like to ask anyway, even if it looks obvious. And I'm glad, I'm glad that I was able to do that for you. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And it's funny because I think our whole, our whole lives as, and maybe this is, this is showing our age here, but the telemarketer days you knew when somebody was not your friend who was calling it was like, mm. Mr. Fabi Yelbana. <laughs> oh my gosh. So it's much, much nicer to hear it pronounced properly. And also it's how it's meant to be pronounced in Tagalog. So it's great. Yeah, cool. Well, I'm glad that I had the opportunity to do it. If anyone ever listens to us live, they know very well that I'm really good at butchering names. And so I try my best to, to do it by typing it out ahead of time and pronouncing it. <laughs> Yeah. All right, Kay. So uh, let's go ahead and start with sharing how you heard about this project, because I thought it was very interesting how you discovered us. And more importantly, why did you decide to be on our show today to share your story? Yeah. So I, as I reached out to you, I mean, as we know, we were talking before we hit record today and I'm just, I was geeking out. I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm here. I'm actually talking to Nani and Jen. This is great. As somebody who is a podcast junkie. And I think I had a realization earlier this year is as a online business owner who'd been working for myself for about five and a half years. And I realized that a lot of the content that I was consuming And even the first few people that came to mind when I was looking for women who were examples to recommend to my audience and to my other clients were, and this is rightly so, I mean, they worked their way to get there, but they were mostly white women. And Mm. and that was kind of flooring for me because I was like, wait, but I identify as a woman of color. I identify as Filipino American. I'm part of the problem, not like consciously consuming content. And ever since March, I've been trying to incorporate into my rotation different different hosts different podcasts different books and I think I was on a rabbit hole looking for other Filipino co-hosts or podcasts to listen to just to hear different stories and I found you guys and I just thought wow what an amazing project they're putting together how many stories that I wish that I heard as a Filipino American growing up who, even though I grew up with other Filipinos, never really could talk about issues of identity openly the way that you guys have been. And and yeah, I reached out because I was like, hey, are you considering guests? (laughs) 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 I I just felt very, it felt very awkward. It's fine. But you know, I'm here. And thank you so much for saying yes. (laughs) It all worked out. (laughs) It did. It did. And I'm just so so glad that you found us. And it's just, it's really just the power of social media and podcasting. Like you just never know who's going to tune in. To me, I kind of look at 
the Filipino American Woman Project as a very generic name because it just blatantly tells you like what it is. But at the same time, I wanted it to be blatant and generic because I wanted people to find us. And I think that for me, like I'm mainly, I'm, I'm basically Americanized and I had always felt uncomfortable using Tagalog terms or just just other dialects because I I never uh, although when I was young I, I knew them as I grew older I, I grew out of like speaking the dialects I'm supposed to speak and so when I would see other podcasts out there or other shows where they have like some Tagalog reference I would personally feel intimidated by it because I thought oh like I think there's this assumption that if I am involved with this project like I have to know like some part of my Filipino culture when I really don't. And it's it's not the easiest thing to talk about because I've had situations where people would make me feel so guilty for not knowing my language or not knowing, like I should know Tagalog, Ilocano, and I think Kapong Panga, I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm supposed to know like three different dialects and yet here I am just speaking full on English. And, <laughs> and I look Filipino, but I'm very, you know, I'm like a coconut. I always tell people like, I'm just very American, Americanized on the inside, but like very Filipino on the outside. But either way, I'm just glad that you were able to find this and in the way that you did, and to even validate what we're doing. I think that a lot of us in general, kind of feel like we need to be invisible or, or like fit into the mold of things or not rock the boat. And so for us to come forward and really just address our identity head on has been a very courageous act. And I just want to, I want to thank Nani for having been part of this journey with me because in the past I would have, I was doing this essentially uh, by myself with occasionally like a co-host that would meet me in person, but shout out to Giselle. <laughs> I know she listens to our shows. And so now it's, you know, as we start to, as we have more of these episodes coming out, I feel like even Nani and I are growing together as co-hosts and really embracing um, this identity and realizing more of, of ourselves and our story and, and thus giving us more of the determination to feature more stories out there. I, I just feel like it's more of a responsibility now than it is like a self-discovery thing. I thought I'd check in with you, Nani. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I do. I mean, I definitely agree with everything that you just said. And while you were talking, I was just thinking of whoever's episode it was that we got into our relationships with our moms and hearing you talk about your journey with your mom kind of made me feel like it was paving the way for the next steps that I can take with mine. And in that way, we kind of feed off of each other. And like you said, have been growing as co-hosts, both for the show and individually in our own kind of paths or journeys, whatever you want to call it. So it's been, yeah, it's been really great. Yeah. And I think you're talking about Clarice Aguilera with the Tagalog Project. Oh, um, yeah. I know Probably because I just listened to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So shout yeah. out to Clarice. That was just one of our uh, most recent episodes. Although by the time you hear this, it'll probably be like episode 20. But yeah, look up Clarice Aguilera. We really get into conversations about our relationships with our mothers. And I, I thought it was a really good one. Um, I normally don't. And, you know, usually when I upload a podcast episode, I don't really listen to it once I upload it because I've, I've spent hours editing it. But <laughs> but I actually went back to listen that to that from the from the very beginning to the end, because it just I felt like we had a lot of healing, yeah. <laughs> you know, like together, just, just sharing yeah. our relationships with our mothers and how we try to integrate the Filipino culture into the American culture. 
Yeah, yeah, I thought that was a really good interview too. I listened to it like two or three times because I was like, wait, <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was really good. In fact, it's so cool because that episode after it came out, so normally like the plays kind of trickle in, like maybe one day we get like five plays and 10 plays, 20 plays. Like after her episode was uploaded, she immediately, like the very next day, got 50 plays for her episode. Oh. So I think that was a pretty a very much needed episode, I think, for a lot of people. So shout out to you, Clarice. I know I know that you listen to our shows as well, but your your episode, I think, really stood out and resonated to a lot of people. So thank you again for, for doing that with us. All right, let me go ahead and uh, digress <laughs> because this is about Kay Fabiella. So Kay, for people who don't know you, why don't you share a little bit about like where you currently reside, your family background, and why you identify as a Filipino-American woman today? Yeah, so I have had probably like many of the guests on your show and yourselves included, I feel like every year has felt like a long, long chapter. <laughs> I would say how where I'm currently based now is Madrid, Spain. And it's one of those things where I think especially when you're an expat, you really connect to your heritage even more because it's it's reinforced by where you are and where you're surrounded by, especially when it's another language and another culture that you're dealing with. I've been living in Madrid for nine and a half years now at the time of this recording, so quite a bit of time. And I was born in upstate New York. I grew up from age two on in Southern California in LA. My dad is originally from Manila, and my mom is originally from Ankara City, so Kapampangan also represent. Okay. Um, yeah, but it's interesting because I think there are so many different layers to your identity, as as I've heard on the show and, and you ladies as well. And for me, it was, uh, you always get that second question growing up. I think you don't really realize until maybe you're seven or eight when you're on the playground, and I switched schools a couple of times growing up but you get the second question of where are you really from? My name, my last name is already, is already quite confusing <laughs> as we've already determined. <laughs> um, but, and I also have a face that is, doesn't really look traditionally anything. It kind of, it can be when I've been in India, people thought I was Northern Indian. When I've been tan enough living in Mexico, people thought I was local. It's confusing. <laughs> But that second question, I think, especially when you are seven or eight and they're very formative years for you, uh, when you start to realize, oh, my goodness, people are always going to ask me the second question of where are you really from? And you start to think, well, why? Why Why is this something that is so powerful and important for somebody? To Can't you just assume that I grew up a, a couple of streets over from where we go to school and that's it? And I think initially as a child, I remember having this distinct decision that I had to make when I realized that was going to be a second question I was going to deal with, mm. which was I could either clench my fists and get defensive and get really angry about it, or I could open my hands and just share who I was and share my story. And so I would just say, well, yes, I'm actually really from Los Angeles. Parents are from the Philippines. They've immigrated here. And that's why my last name is not Smith. And yeah, and then I would just talk about where I came from. And I could see how, whether it was a kid on the playground, or somebody I was talking to in a store, the worldview of what they knew was possible expanded just by seeing somebody's story unfold in front of them. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that lesson never really left me. And 
And I think that as you get older, you start adding chapters to that story, going to college in DC and then working in Boston and then moving here to Spain eventually. The second question still follows me, but now it's been really interesting to see how different conversations in front of me open up because people then want to engage with you even more. And they're like, oh, I didn't realize that that's really interesting or how did that happen or how did that come about? And I've just had some of the most brilliant conversations simply by starting from a place of where are you really from? And if I had decided at that crossroads when I was seven or eight to go down the path of feeling very defensive and and just closing myself off, I don't think I would have had the life trajectory that I've had and the relationships that I've had since. And in terms of why I identify as Filipino-American specifically, I think, and I remember actually in preparation for the show, I was like, I remember distinctly writing for my college essay how I felt like I was straddling the hyphen mm. of Filipino and American. I very, very clearly remember that because I was applying for a degree in international relations and economics. And how for me, and this was at the time when I thought I was going to go to, to diplomacy or whatever I thought I was doing at the time as like an idealistic high school grad. But I remember saying that like one of the things that I enjoyed was coming back to this idea of I could expand other people's worldviews by sharing my story, but also connect other people who struggled in those in that land in between. And that was something I feel like that notion that I think a lot of us navigate when we're between these two worlds, we almost innately know how to code switch. We innately know how mm. to empathize with people who feel not one thing or the other. We deeply identify with anybody who feels, you know, marginalized or underrepresented or just feels like you're whatever box you're asked to check for whatever group you're with at the time, like what you were saying earlier about, oh, I don't know Tagalog or Ilocano or Kapampangan, and how that almost makes you feel intimidated. Like we know that experience because we're not Filipina enough in some senses. We're not American enough in some senses. And in, in my case, I'm not Spanish enough in some senses. Mm. And, and I think then when it comes back to, for me, what identifying as Filipino American is knowing that both of those things make up who I am and connect me to my legacy and my story, but also allow me to have a reference point to give other people for where we can start to have a conversation around my story and expand their worldview and even engage them in my own and get them to share theirs. So yeah, I think that it's amazing how I think as you get older, you go from, from feeling like I have to fit into one box or the other, and you always struggle to feel enough for whatever box you force yourself to be in to embracing all of those sides of you and realizing I can't separate them. I am that hyphen that's straddling the line between the two. And in my case now as an expat, I mean, I have permanent residency now here in Spain, so we could even add Spanish in there as well. Maybe not officially, but <laughs> it's a cool mm -hmm. way to kind of string things together. Maybe I could add a second hyphen. I don't know. <laughs> wow. Well, I, I think even for me, I still have this mental block with that second question, like, where are you really from? When people say, like, I've kind of come to a place where when people ask me, like, where you're from nowadays, actually, it's kind of interesting because uh, I'm in Virginia and I was living in California. And when I walk around here, sometimes I answer, oh, I'm from California. And people answer, oh, oh, that makes sense. You totally look like a California girl, you know? And I was like, oh, cool. It wasn't about my, my ethnic background. But then when they, when they really like, 
if they do pry into it, or sometimes I kind of assume that's what they're asking because it's, it's a white person in front of me asking me where I'm from. I immediately just say, oh, well, my parents are immigrants from the Philippines, so I'm Filipino, but I was born and raised as an American. I'll say something like that. And I think even today, like, as I mentioned, I'm still, I'm still working through that mental block, but I just love like everything you said like really just embracing that second question and seeing it as an opportunity to have people engage with you and expand their worldviews. It's almost like I have this necklace I wear that my, my good friend Giselle Deo Diaz, episode two, I think, she gave me this necklace that has like these like rocks on it. And it, it just looks really fascinating. I don't know the names of the rocks. I can't tell you. But people always ask me like, oh, that's such a beautiful rock. Like, what is it? And I feel like that's what our identity is. Like, it's a conversation starter for people who don't know like who you are. It's kind of like looking at someone's jewelry and you can decide to like just what you said, clench your fist or really embrace it and use it as an opportunity to expand people's minds. And I just really loved uh, the way that you explained that. Everything that Kay just said reminded me of a question that you asked us, Jen, on the first interview that I co-hosted with you with Rhea. And you had asked us a question, how does it make you feel having to answer that question, the where are you from question? And I had answered you and I described how it was really frustrating to always get that question everywhere that you go and kind of be met with hesitance in your response. But ever since that episode, I think I've taken at least a couple minutes every day to kind of think about that. I don't know why it keeps coming back to me, but at first, like you said, Kay, I would kind of approach my response with clenched fists and get defensive. But when you put it in that way, it is a conversation starter and it is a door that if you're talking to someone that's not trying to be offensive or ignorant, obviously, it can lead to great friendships and relationships as a starting point. And that is something to be proud of. And it is something that we should be proud to represent. And maybe I need to rethink my perspective when I get upset at that. So I appreciate you saying that. And I also really like what you said about feeling like you were straddling the hyphen. I think that that is a really good phrase that kind of sums up our experience or at least the confusion in our experience that we all seem to have and how your kind of concluding thought is that you really can't separate them, that you have to learn to integrate them and that you are the hyphen. Where the hyphen mm. confuses you, you are that confusion. And that's what you really have to figure out for yourself. So I, I appreciate you saying that. All right, Jen Amos here, jumping into the middle of our show, as I always do, to remind you why this show is possible. So, you know at the end of every episode, I tend to say, if you didn't catch our guest contact info, don't worry, we'll have those in the show notes. Check them out. I work so hard on them. You're welcome. Well, it's been brought to my attention that our show notes are not as easy to find as I thought, which is why starting summer 2020, the Filipino American Woman Project is proud to be partnering with Captivate, the world's only growth-oriented podcast host. Captivate is created for independent podcasters, designed from day one to help you to focus on audience growth and the expansion of your audio influence. One way that Captivate makes our lives easier as independent podcasters is by taking the guesswork out of making a website for your show. That's right, a website for your show. So listeners, starting summer 2020, Finding our show notes will be so much easier. All thanks to Captivate. You're welcome. 
as always. If you're about to start podcasting or are getting burnt out from all the extra work of producing one, like building a website, consider a seven-day free trial, that's right, free, with Captivate by visiting thephilamwoman.com. That's the Philam, short for FilipinoAmericanWoman.com. Or, you know, check out our show notes in the meantime, which is in the details section of each episode. Once again, you can visit thephilamwoman.com or visit the details section of this episode. Exactly. I love it. Yeah, it's something I think that with the stories that you're highlighting with all the women who've been on the podcast that I've had the pleasure to listen to now as a fan, it's giving us a way to navigate to even, I think, uh, beyond just the fact that we are, we've been trying to figure out a way to be one or the other for so long. And you're giving us more ways to not just embrace being in the middle, but also giving us new vocabulary for how we, how all of us have had this shared experience of trying to navigate both of those two things. And now we're allowed to be full selves in that middle ground rather than right. forcing ourselves into one box or the other. So I've, I've absolutely loved what you guys are doing here. Thank you. Yeah, it's a that's a really good line to kind of define the space in between, I think. So, yeah, I like yeah. that. I think that's going to be the title of our of this episode. We are the hyphen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's good. Let's embrace it. I want to ask this to to both of you and and I'm I I don't even have the answer to this right now myself, but why does it generally upset us when people do ask that second question? Like I don't I don't think I've ever really question that. I don't know. Do, do any of you have any, any thoughts on that? Like why initially it makes you upset? I mean, initially just for me, like on the top of my head, because in one of our previous interviews that we just recorded in the last week, you also had said something about when white people ask you, where are you from? That you always have the inclination to be sassy back and say, well, where are you from? Mm -hmm. And that's definitely something that I do being half white, because I think maybe it's the Filipina side in me that's proud to represent when I'm asked that question, but it's the white side of me that's angry. Like, why are you trying to other me? Why yeah. are you assuming that just because my face looks a little bit ambiguous, not like yours, that I'm from somewhere different? And even if I am, so what? Where are you from? <laughs> mm -hmm. Tell us your story too. And that's, like you said, oftentimes a lot of a question that a lot of them can't answer or don't know. Yeah, I think that it's funny because I I think at least initially for me, as you're saying that, Nani, the defensiveness of wanting to kind of address all in one question, like why are why am I even being asked this question? It already yeah. means that we're unequal. I think that mm. could, that could definitely strike a raw nerve for people. I know as I've worked with not just other Filipinas but also other women of color, it's something that strikes. That, that's something it's a it's a common vein that in all of our experiences and I think there's also the part of identity and belonging which when you're straddling the hyphen as as we're now calling this episode <laughs> um, <laughs> it feels awkward and uncomfortable to have that con that trigger constantly reminding you that you are not from here or you are for some reason or the other, like I get to question whether you're allowed to be here. I think that's, right. the, mm. I think that's probably why a combination of those two things, that's a lot to unpack in two seconds. But when it becomes your, your reality in every, almost every conversation that you have with a stranger, it could get frustrating. There are, I mean, I'm saying this from a place of I could either 
like all of us, embrace and accept it or budget my outrage, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> and take it a step at a time because there are plenty of other things that we have to deal with and fight for. And I choose to use that as an as a way of conversation. And yeah, but I think initially the reason why I used to get defensive as a kid was because I'm like, well, why aren't you asking so and so next to me? Or you know, what does what it mean you that, ask me? Exactly. What does it mean that I that you're singling me out as different? And you're aware of that even from a young age. And I think that might be why for Jen's question that we feel that way. Mm. Well said and well explained and something that even I feel like I still need to unpack. And I think when I try to be sassy, I feel like it might be like a defense mechanism for me. I, I know we had a, an interview with JL Umipig in, uh, in recently, and she said that, you know, when people ask me like where you're from or what are you? Her response is, well, do you have time for me to explain? <laughs> because <laughs> because it's, it's not an easy cookie cutter answer. But what I love about having this conversation with you, Kay, is really encouraging all of us to create this new vocabulary and, and new language about how we answer that second question. I've never heard it that way before. So it's, it kind of really opens up my mind. And I even think I'll be contemplating about this, <laughs> just moving forward of like, what words can I use? How can I respond to people? And how do I do it in a way that like adds to the conversation, but doesn't like minimize me and my identity, like in any way? That's where my mind is going right now as, as I'm processing everything we're talking about. I love it. It's, I think it's a valuable conversation for all of us to have. I mean, at least for me, as somebody who's now an immigrant like my parents, I can, I can jokingly say here, I'm like, oh, I'm originally from Los Angeles. My parents are Filipino and immigration seems to run in the family. It seems to be genetic. So here I am in Spain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. it's, it's like how you can answer that creatively within like, that's now my like mini identity elevator pitch. So to say, yeah, <laughs> right. I love it. Like, how can I, I get it. this into one sentence? <laughs> <laughs> Stick and practice. Stick and practice. But yeah, you'll you'll get there. And I think it's a good thing for all of us to consider. And I think hopefully anybody who wants to engage in this, even with any of us afterwards, to have the conversation. It's when we collectively brainstorm together that we can determine how to assert ourselves, like you said, without diminishing or tokenizing or otherizing ourselves even more. It's it's something that. I'm happy to continue to engage on with both of you and with anybody who's listening. Yeah, absolutely. I always uh, tell previous guests that it's not the last time we're going to have a conversation. Like, I think for as long as I'm Filipino, which is basically the rest of my life, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that we're going to have uh, some guests come back on the show to, to catch up with and share uh, new epiphanies and everything. Because as we age, we, we gain new wisdom, and that would be worth uh, sharing uh, later down the line. With that said, Kay, from your bio to the conversation we've had till now, I feel like we've really hinted a little bit about your life today. For people that are just getting to know you for the first time, uh, give us a snapshot of your life and more importantly, like what keeps you busy and most excited about it nowadays? Yeah, well, Madrid is an amazing city. I fell in love with it on a semester abroad. And shortly after I experienced burnout uh, at age 22 at my first job, it was one of those things where I, as I was in the process of recovery, 
And I went from recovering high achiever, asking myself the wrong questions of why couldn't I keep up and what was wrong with me to what feels like the next right thing for me. That exploration of what feels like the next right thing for me ultimately led to, well, I would love to go back to Madrid because it felt like for some reason unfinished business for me. I really loved the city. A semester didn't feel long enough. And it just felt like a happy place for me uh, where there's something about, and this could be echoed, I'm sure, by other people who've been abroad or have lived abroad for a time. You are, it's like another way to explore your identity because you get to try on a new self. And because Spanish was a language that I learned in school, I got to try on a new self here when I came back. And it was supposed to be for a year, but I obviously met my now husband. Uh, so I'll be here for a little while. Oh, um, nice. <laughs> but I think that a big part of what drew me back to Madrid was I felt connected to this exploration of how can I engage with others and how can I try on new words? How can I try on new vocabulary in another language and as, as a living, breathing thing that allows me to connect to people? I used to see as I was gathering vocabulary and learning Spanish and getting fluent as me leveling up in a video game. Like, oh, now I have... I have that mushroom for the Mario Brothers next level. Like, and then the, what What was it? The wings that then made him fly? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know what they're called, but I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. If anybody is more into video games than I am, clearly you guys can correct me later. Um, <laughs> but I felt like every word, every bit of vocabulary that I got to try on allowed me to, to open up again, like another way for me to connect with the person in front of me. And so there was something about Spanish where even, and this may be from growing up in Southern California, I didn't realize that the stuff that I was learning in school until I walked into a Spanish supermarket, how much that was actually more than just another thing for an exam. It was another way to open myself up to another set of cultures in this case, because Spanish is so widely spoken. And so I, I kind of kept going with that. Even as my husband and I were dating, I kept learning. I kept growing. I was teaching English. I was meeting other expats. I was practicing wherever I could. And then I, I started my business uh, in 2014, kind of on accident. I was putting together a portfolio to apply for a master's degree in, in digital marketing. And I realized that I really liked freelancing and I was good at it. And I liked that I could choose my clients. And so I ended up just continuing to build that portfolio mm -hmm. um, all these years later. And about a year and a half in, which is what led to me having this bilingual brand in Spanish and English, I attended an in-person course here with somebody who has since gone on to be a massive influencer in the digital marketing world in Spanish. I attended one of her courses and I spoke to her afterwards about the fact that I was I helped brands connect to their audiences through the power of story. And she said to me, well, no one's doing that in the Spanish speaking world yet. I've never done this before. Would you mind writing a series of guest posts on what storytelling is? And I didn't really think anything of it. I was just like, uh, sure, absolutely. I'm happy to add my insight. And that article still continues to drive the most traffic to the Spanish side of my site. It wow. collapsed my site the moment that it went live. And that has since had me cited in, yeah, oh, wow. imposter syndrome much in your second language about a topic oh, that man. you're still learning about. Like, okay. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, like I have a unique position here to, in, to educate an entire 
side of the pop, like global population that speaks this language or that clearly wants to learn about this topic. And so I became a Spanish speaking expert on brand storytelling for like two, three years, which was very, very strange. <laughs> I mean, great. Wow. It was amazing and humbling, but it was also something that I, I realized how much hunger there was for connection. And in this case, it was related to people who were getting into the online space who were trying to grow their audiences with all the options for social media, all the options for putting you know, their website out there or investing in Facebook ads or whatever it happened to be. And they're realizing it wasn't as simple as kind of a spray and pray approach to marketing. It was, you had to be more strategic and you had to connect with your people around an emotional level. And so so that that kind of led to the business that I have now. And again, as I think as business owners and as, as people, we already evolve a lot, but as business owners, I think even more so, especially for me, because I was constantly engaging with different business owners and hearing their stories and helping them find their stories and put themselves out there. I actually made the hard decision last year to walk away from my Spanish speaking brand, just because I realized as somebody who was working with so many different clients from different parts of the world, I just felt that it was draining my energy to not just not just write in a second language, but try to translate what they were saying into a language that their audience would understand. And I just decided that wasn't the direction that I wanted to go. And so I closed that brand up last year. Wow. Um, I still continue to operate in English. And that's actually freed me up to work with almost exclusively English speaking clients and occasionally a Spanish speaking client who needs translation to reach an English speaking market, which is fascinating. But yeah, I think where I'm moving now was kind of what prompted me to start listening to your podcast among others. It's this idea, this notion that as I've dug into so many different business owner stories and helped them reach their audiences, I started to notice that I look to my left and I look to my right and online entrepreneurship is supposed to be the ultimate equalizer for opportunity where you could literally from here to tomorrow, you know, publish a book, open a website, start selling a product. And I was still seeing lack of representation. Mm. I was still seeing very, very few examples that I could look up to in the online space. I mean, one of the few people that I saw was Joy Cho of Ojoy as like a creative entrepreneur that I could look up to who was Asian American and even less women of color in general. And I realized, well, my superpower is helping people connect people to their audiences as business owners through the power of their story. But isn't it also the fact that I need to help them find their identity to then help them show up as the first of their cultural or ethnic or social group, even if the world doesn't mirror them back. Because the, the big part that I learned is if somebody like me, whose second language is Spanish, who still saw every piece of vocabulary as grabbing Mario mushrooms to like <laughs> get better at improving and still managed to get visible to 27 countries in less than three years, imagine what it would be like for other people who have something to share, who are looking to make a bigger impact, but for one reason or the other, they're feeling held back because they look to their left and they look to their right and they're like, well, I don't see people who look like me or love like me or, or live like me as examples of successes. So obviously I can't hack it or I can't make it. 
And so where my business is moving now is the mindful connection of helping those business owners who've been shouting into a microphone to plug in their amp and help them reach their people so that they can lead the change simply by being visible and showing up in across every industry possible if I can help it to get their story out there. And that's what's most exciting for me now is using stories to help not just visibility, but representation in the online business space. Wow. There's a lot of, uh, I'm so impressed, first of all. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I just feel so much for like everything that you said. So my professional background in my early twenties, I've always like struggled with holding down a job. So I was fired from four jobs consecutively. Like the first four jobs I ever had in my life, I was fired from it. And then in the recent year or two, like before my husband and I moved to Virginia, I picked up this job, like an admin job for like 10 months. And then I ended up quitting like the, like just on the whim. It was going to happen anyway. Like there's a lot of things in the office that was, was becoming toxic. But I remember after my fourth job, my best friend said to me, and I was like, you know, every time I got fired, it was never easy. Like I would just bawl and cry and just feel like I was like, man, I have this college degree and yet I can't, I can't like hold down a job like, like I'm supposed to. And so my best friend said to me like, you know, Jen, I don't think you're meant for a job. And so uh, luckily at that time I, I got into sales and getting into sales in my young twenties was a very, it was a very interesting experience because <laughs> It was really bad. (laughs) I just remember like how I did such an awful job selling people. I like guilted people into like, you know, purchasing my stuff. Like I just, I had some colleagues that I worked with that were just like mainly men that I was looking up to that were very just money driven. And it, it was, it was really, it was really difficult, but it propelled me to start my own online marketing agency back in 2013. I basically closed shop in 2018. 2018. So just about a year or so ago when we moved to the East Coast, because I have a whole other transformation after that, which I can probably get to later. But I remember for me, running a business, it wasn't just about running the business. It was a it was just kind of like what you said. It was about identity and and trying to like you're looking around, you're like, is anyone else doing this? Do I have any role models that I could look up to? I remember a lot of my local networking events were male dominated. And it was just hard to communicate with them. And even when I did get clients, I definitely struggled with the imposter syndrome a lot because a lot of them were very, once again, like money driven and they want to see like immediate results when you're trying to build an online brand and a pers- or a personal brand, or you're trying to like storytell instead of just sell, like it, ta- it takes a little time like to really build to that if you want to do it right. And so it was a really tough journey for me. I mean, I'm, I'm so grateful that I went through it because now it's actually how I met my husband because he was referred to me as a client. And then today he wanted to bring financial services online. And so today we both work remotely. We work from home really. And a lot of our connections, we, we do it online. We're, we're big, we're big on LinkedIn. Like we do most of our outreach on there, but I just think, man, it was tough. Like, Kay, it, it's tough. I think it's tough to be a woman of color uh, in business because it's more than just the opportunity. It's just that constant like uphill battle of 
trying to prove yourself and, and trying to come off sane and presentable. But in your mind, you're struggling with the imposter syndrome, or you're trying to like, not let your emotions get in the way, but they are in the way. So you're just like, you can't have like a straight conversation sometimes. And so everything you're saying really speaks to me because it, it's it's not easy. And I, and I feel like the market you're targeting, you're targeting right now, it's super fresh, which makes a lot of sense, like why you've gotten the traction that you've gotten. And I think it's just such a a gift to know that there's someone like you out there that are helping women of color business owners just discover their own identity and tie their identity into the story that they're trying to tell uh, through their business. So I'm just extremely impressed. And I had I known you back in 2013, I probably would have maybe gotten into debt just trying to like work with you and, you know, try to get you to help me craft my story because I still got in debt anyway, you know, like I was going to get in debt anyway. Cause I, I think for a lot of women of color who get in business they're they don't get an inheritance. They don't have connections or resources. They really don't. I look at my own family and none of them were trying to build a business in the way that I was trying to build it. And of course they weren't because they built this stable foundation for me, which I'm eternally grateful for. But like, I didn't have those resources. I had to seek them out and I had to seek them out often in male dominated areas or people who were much older than me. And so, man, I mean, if you were in my neighborhood at that time, I would have clung on to you and be like, Hey, (laughs) it would have been so awesome. And it's just, I just want to applaud you for what you're doing. It's a beautiful gift that you have. I think one, because you were able to overcome that, that hump of whatever you needed to go to, to get to this place in your life, to help other people and your hard work doesn't go unnoticed. So I just, I just wanted to say that. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for that. And I just want to highlight, actually, this would be relevant to anybody who is listening. I, I published an article on Medium not, not too long ago at the time of this recording, but it's because I went down this rabbit hole once a nerd, always a nerd, about women of color owned businesses. And so everything that you were just saying now, Jen, of this idea that we don't get as women of color, as Filipino Americans, um, whatever it happens to be, the numbers also don't lie. American Express did a study from 2007 to 2018, the state of women owned businesses. The good news is women of color owned businesses in the US right now occupy 46%. So almost half, which is incredible. Mm. We're, we're, you don't need to tell us to lean in. We lean in, in. we lean in hard. But then the, the downside to that is when you look at non-minority business owners are making $148,000 more on average, average yearly revenue per year than women of color owned businesses. And that is, when I saw that number, that's kind of what got me thinking about, well, how can I contribute? What can I do? Because like you said, there are specific situations of a lot of us, Filipino Americans included, come from families where the options for you growing up are doctor, lawyer, or disappointment. So you're fighting with that. You're fighting with imposter syndrome. You're fighting with the fact that you're probably less likely to get accepted for a small business loan. You're fighting with the fact that VCs are less likely to invest in a woman of color owned business. You have to prove a larger track record before they even get you in the door. I mean, there's so many layers and issues to that, that it really comes back down to podcasts like this, or each of us standing up in our own spaces, just showing up every day as we are, because every single article that I read or person that I talked to when I said, well, what can we do about it to fix it? Every single person said, be visible, show up, Mm. 
because as soon as you show up, you, by the very existence of you being there, you're challenging somebody's notion of what's possible. You're expanding their idea of what is a leader, what a woman of color, what a Filipino American can do. And so, I mean, that's what, that's what's driving me. That's when I hear stories like yours of how I was similar. I mean, I've spent easily 60 grand over the past five and a half years, which according to, in, in terms of like professional training and investing in myself and growing the business. And luckily things are going well now. But I mean, if you look at the statistics, that's essentially barely covers one year's worth of average revenue for me as a woman of color business owner. Mm-hmm. And, and that, and you think of that and you're like, well, again, budget your outrage, <laughs> but also, <laughs> also what can you do about it? And so having these spaces where we can have these conversations openly and talk about these things is just really fantastic. Oh man, exactly. And I think for anyone that's listening in who is a woman of color business owner, we want to hear from you and we want to hear your stories because we know that you're you're fighting the good fight and we know that you're doing this because you have to and you want to and everything you said and I just feel like I'm just so grateful to connect with you on this because your story and everything that you're saying it just validates my story and and I don't have to look at my you know mid 20s as this sad uphill battle of a girl a little girl trying to prove herself to the world with minimal resources and to see like yeah like that's what it takes for us right now as a Filipina women in business, it is a struggle because it's more than just the opportunity. And by the way, I love that study. I read that study. It's a really good study. (laughs) (laughs) And I highly, highly recommend like anyone who wants to learn more about it, check it out on American Express and and check out that study because it's it's very insightful and it really shows you our representation out there and, and everything. So that reading that study also affirmed my situation and made me realize like, okay, It's one thing to kind of get the idea that there are certain people in this world that have more privileges than than you. But when you actually read about it, like I think for myself, my husband, he's white. (laughs) He's a he's a West Point grad and he was a previous army officer. And it's it blows my mind to see like how easy it is for him to make connections with like really quality like contacts that can get him places where if it wasn't for his connections, I mean, I bring organization to the business so he can get a lot of traction, but if he can't retain it, then it, it makes no sense. But I, I mainly run operations with what we're doing and that's how we kind of make us look like a functional <laughs> business. But right now he's, he's really the, the dog and pony show, we always call him for our business because for whatever reason, connections and and getting that attention really come easy for him. Where for someone such as myself, I wouldn't have the same connections as he did. And if I even if I do make connections, it's usually with people who are in the same boat as me. And so it's it's really an uphill battle for all of us. <laughs> so it is a very interesting conversation that I would be that I, I want to keep it going. I mean, not forever on this, on this episode, obviously, but I think it's worth discussing. And if any, if any of our listeners can relate to this, we'd love to hear your thoughts. You can email in, you can leave a, leave us a voice message. You can DM us on um, Instagram, but if you feel the same way, uh, we'd love to hear from you because we need to have your, we also need to have your story heard and really normalize uh, these conversations so that for anyone that does want to pursue business or even freelancing or, or what have you, or have a side hustle to know that these challenges are are normal for us and 
and that you can get help and you can get a uh, support. I think it's great that it sounds like you've really found your your niche, Kay, and that it's going well for you. And I love that not just are you helping brands to connect with their audiences through storytelling, but you're also taking it an extra step further and helping them to navigate then thereafter. Once, once you get them there, navigating as businesses of color in kind of uncharted territory, I think that's really, really great. I do have one question for you. We talk a lot here on this show about Filipino Americans and their experience living here in America, obviously, and like the whole colonial mentality thing. What is that like as a Filipino American living in Spain? Because we were also colonized by Spain. And what is the dynamic, both in your professional life and your personal life, that you found? I mean, it's just really interesting to me that after spending a semester there that you wanted to go back and that you've made a life for yourself there. So I'm, I'm curious about that. Yeah, definitely. So that it, it, I mean, the irony is not lost on me. I'm, I got, I had the wonderful opportunity to travel to the Philippines with my Spanish husband. I want to say, when was this now? 2015. So four years ago now. And I remember we visited Manila, we saw Intramuros. And so he saw like where Emilio Aguinaldo had to like walk to get to get executed and all of these things. And Mm. it was so interesting to me to be able to kind of show him. My husband is probably the most woke Spanish man (laughs) possible because of all the conversations (laughs) that we have. Um, But it was just so interesting to be able to share that part of the history and show him this is, I mean, I talk all the time about how messaging, it's my job as somebody who helps with stories and messaging to almost anticipate, like look at what's available culturally and see how we can project you as a brand or a business owner into the future. And how much of that, the more that I work with businesses comes from identity and messages that you've inherited. And so when you add the colonial mentality, like I show him, I'm like, imagine what it was like knowing that the history of our country can basically be summed up as 400 years in a Catholic convent and 50 years in Hollywood. I mean, no wonder we're confused. Mm. No wonder we don't have a strong identity to stand on. And he kind of like nodded and listened and was like, wow, I never really thought about kind of the far reaching after effects that that can then have on an entire people and what that then means. And then there's also the additional thing of being here in Spain where Traditionally, a lot of a lot of Spanish, like even not even wealthier Spanish families, because the wages here are much lower in general, but they can have uh, caretakers at home. And so there are quite a few Dominican, Colombian, Haitian or Honduran, as well as Filipino caretakers. And so even just all kind of poke fun at it occasionally. But I've noticed that on a personal level, Maybe whereas in the U.S. you could kind of get away with like rolling out of bed and putting on sweats and heading to the grocery store. I feel a need to want to dress up a little bit more, weirdly enough, so that I don't get mistaken because I've been mistaken for a caretaker before. Wow. Which is, yeah, that's that's a whole other episode to unpack. But it was something for me where it's, again, it's one of those things where I keep repeating this, but like budget your outrage, you see that when somebody's perception of you then becomes not only what they've assigned to you, but also through the limited narrow lens that they know Filipinos to be, and that you then have to, you know, I was at a startup networking event here 
And, and it wasn't a Spaniard. It was an American who was like, wait, shouldn't you be home, like taking care of the kids? Isn't that what they do here? Oh, hell no. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've been keeping all these stories, best belief. <laughs> She's like, budget your outrage. <laughs> you must have like, really, really embodied that. <laughs> you must have like a storage of all your outrage somewhere out there. I mean, I've been here nine and a half years, girls. It it really does add up. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, man. But for you to be able to function, it just like, and that was the thing. Like, I, I have seen these stories and I have lived these things. I have been because my face kind of is most, if you look at me closely, you can kind of place me as Filipina. If you look at me very quickly, they just think everyone who's Asian here is Chinese. And so mm. just, like, I've gotten the, like, I'm walking around in the street and somebody be like, Kita China, like, get out of the way, Chinese girl. And again, I'm saying this, I can count on two hands exactly how many times things have happened to me, because by and large, my experience here has been incredible. But when you have those experiences, you realize how much further this country has to go in terms of immigration, because 50 years under a dictatorship who died, uh, the dictator died in 1970, 1970, 1976, 1977. So they were basically an isolationist country for so long. And really, I don't think immigration and what we what we've gotten to experience in the U.S. has really taken hold here as much as like there's not as much of a wealth of oh I see all of these different ethnic groups and cultures visibly as people who are business owners or business leaders I mean there's they've still got another 40-50 years for them to catch up a perfect example of this is my mother-in-law went from washing clothes in the river to whatsapp in her lifetime it's just mm, mind blowing. That's a crazy thought. <laughs> it's mind blowing. And so I think of that all the time. And, and so again, it's from this place of anytime I have a myopic experience, we'll say from somebody who's, who decides to assign an identity to me unfairly. And again, I say that I'm very privileged in that I don't get to experience that on a daily basis, but I will say that it makes me much more conscious of not only how I carry myself and how I show up and how I I feel like I'm maybe fairly or unfairly, I feel like I get to represent an entire group of people and challenge other people's notions just by showing up and sharing who I am. And, but it also makes me wonder how can I do that for other people here? So when I meet like Filipinas in the street or when I get my lumpia fix at this one really great place that's like, two metro stops away. And I'm so thankful for it. Um, <laughs> just by exchanging words with the, the waitresses or just talk, talking to people who are based here and they see that I'm here and not, not by circumstance, but by choice, that's also powerful. So it's got, I've, I'm in this weird intersection between with my with my in-laws and my husband and anyone who I know who's Spanish, like I'm just by talking about what I do and what I do on a day-to-day basis, I'm knocking down unconscious or conscious biases that they may have just by showing up because they see me as a full human, as a full individual. And then Mm -hmm. on top of that, I am in this weird space where I am one of, in this community of expats, there are very I would say it's really changed within the last couple of years. I'm, I, but for a long time, I was one of the few women of color expats, and I was the one of one of the few 
Filipinas who wasn't here as a domestic worker or somebody working in a restaurant or a hotel. Mm. And navigating that has also been very, very interesting. And again, it's these stories that I've experienced, these unfortunate events that have happened or when I've been on the receiving end of somebody being unfair to me, I realize how much of it I have to take off like how can I show up as my full self in this moment, but also remember that I'm seeing it through my cultural lens as a Filipino American versus somebody who maybe grew up here or was here not by choice and is still in a country that it, that sees immigrants and the immigrants are not as visible. They're in their boxes still very much so. I mean, you see like I said, in this case, specifically Filipinas are mostly associated with that type of work. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I mean, it's it's a lot sometimes. I mostly just rant about it to my husband. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> and luckily, he's one of the most patient people and woke people. <laughs> like the fact that he was so excited when he works as an IT consultant for a French bank. And he was so excited when a Filipino joined their team as a, as an IT consultant, because Aww. he's like, I have things to talk about with him. DC <laughs> yes. is my favorite dish. <laughs> and that's what, again, like, even though I can get outraged, and even though there are days where I'm human and I, I wish that there was a blueprint for a Filipino American living in Madrid, who's running a business and trying to do all these things. It doesn't exist. I know it doesn't. It's too much to ask. But when I see people immediately like my husband and just from probably like, what is it now? I've been here nine years and we've known each other eight, just eight years of listening to me (laughs) 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 and how he's changed and how his family's changed and how just by, I, just by seeing me showing up and experiencing things and being open about my experiences with him and how that's changed, how he moves through the world. Mm-hmm. And how the people around him are also changing how they operate in different situations. And that gives me hope. And I think yeah. that's, that's the only, that's what I have to hold on to at the end of the day is as, as, as complicated as, as these questions of identity are for all of us, just by showing up and talking openly about it with people who are willing to listen and genuinely want to know how to help. I think it's been one of the most rewarding things. And that's what I hold on to even the days that I just throw my hands up in the sky and go, why? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, if you're ever, if you ever want to rant to anyone else, I'm here. (laughs) I'd love to hear about it. I've always been really curious. My first trip to the Philippines is going to be in January. And I've been thinking a lot about how I'm going to be received there because I don't Mm -hmm. look Filipino at all. But my next trip that I'd want to go on just out of curiosity would be to Spain for that exact reason. So yeah, definitely curious about that experience. For sure. Well, whenever you come through Madrid, one of the other things that we did not have time for on this podcast today was my last job before I started my business was as a food tour guide. And y'all know. (laughs) (laughs) That may speed up my plans a little. (laughs) (laughs) Nani, Nani, we need to plan this out together. We need to go together. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. No, I'd I'd so be down. Noted. Noted. 
I think we have big plans for traveling next year. At least, at least I do. Yes, <laughs> yes, we do together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'd be so fun. I feel like out of this entire discussion, the biggest thing I feel is just the sense of responsibility more than it is a burden to really represent ourselves and really find the the verbiage and the language to keep showing up. I think that's like the biggest thing. And I feel like, Kay, you've been so articulate and eloquent in how you've been describing describing your whole experience as a Filipino-American woman, hyphen Spanish, I don't know. <laughs> and I feel like that's what I'm really getting out of the show myself is when I learn from other people's stories, I pick up little phrases that I can use because even, you know, even till this day, you know, I'm 31, like I, it's really in the, in the last couple years where I've really started to delve into what does it mean to be a Filipino American woman? And it's still like, sometimes I still get my tongue tied. It's, it's still hard to explain. And that's why I, I love storytelling and no better to have this discussion with than you, because I, I think we all learn best through storytelling. And what I'm just trying to say also is that is how grateful I am that we have the privilege today in today's time and generation to have these conversations on a medium such as podcasting to really explore it together. And it's my hope that we can figure this out together and we can grow together and find the right words and language to move forward and kind of going back to what we said at the beginning, like how do we approach um, answering that that second question that we always get asked. I wholeheartedly agree. I think that, I mean, it's amazing what you ladies are doing, offering the container for this conversation, because it's so needed, especially for, I think the thing that really struck me when I was doing this research on women of color owned businesses was whenever I asked them, hey, could you refer me to another person so I could understand more about what I can do to help? And they often were the only one in the room and the only one in their industry or only one that they knew even in their online business circles that was a woman of color. So they had no one to refer me to. Mm. So that really stuck with me as well. Like knowing that there are places where you can, unless we know how to connect with each other, we all feel like we're navigating this identity crisis. I don't want to call it crisis, but journey <laughs> alone. And, but it's when we share our collective experiences in a proactive, transparent way that we get this vocabulary that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, it's one of the reasons why even I'm about to, at the time of this recording, I'm about to publish my first book. And one of the first things that I remembered thinking as I was writing this book is like what you said, we have such a privilege that we get to live in a time where we can share our stories like there's no barrier to entry for us to share our stories. And even when I was selecting the category on Amazon and I realized that under ethnic memoir, like this memoir and the subcategory was ethnic and the underneath the subcategories for different ethnic groups, Asian and Asian American wasn't public on the Amazon page. Wow. And I realized that that's because of two reasons. We are either isolated and we don't share our stories so we're not, we don't have these collective conversations like what you're creating here on this podcast for us to actually talk about our experiences in this way, or there's not enough demand for our stories. And so that's why, again, it comes back to like what you so beautifully put of there's this responsibility that we have to lead for others by showing up as ourselves for the representation that we want to see instead of waiting for somebody to give us permission to 
you know, oh, so-and-so did it and they look like me. So I, and that gives me permission to also move forward. No, we have to be that person. And as mm-hmm. crappy and lonely and strange and awkward as that journey may be sometimes, I mean, knowing that we now have podcasts like this to listen to when we want to feel a little less alone and a little more enough, I mean, that's what's going to guide us forward in lifting each other up. Yeah. And I just want to add to that. I want to speak directly to our listeners for anyone that feels like they want to share their story. Don't wait for someone to ask you. Don't wait for permission. One thing I love about what Nani and Marjorie and what Kay has done is they actively reached out and even even Nicole Cruz, they actively reached out and said, I want to get involved with this or I want to share my story. And for anyone that's listening, I don't want you to think that you have to wait for someone to tell you to share your story. Like you can DM us on Instagram and say, I want to share my story. Like I should be next on this interview and we'll, we'll welcome it with open arms because the fact that you do that means that you know that you matter and we need to have more people that are already in that mindset to come on board, share their story and inspire other people to, to do the same. I feel really responsible right now, ladies. Like, I feel like, I, I feel like we're on a mission now. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> like we all need to meet up in, in Madrid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, with that said, we have arrived to one of my most favorite parts of the show, which is sharing a life lesson and a story, a personal story that led to that life lesson. So Kay, for your life lesson today, you wanted to share that it's never too late to rewrite your story. I'd love for you to elaborate on that and also share maybe a personal story that led you to this life lesson you wanted to share with us today. Yeah, absolutely. So that was a lesson that I realized very early on because fortunately or unfortunately, I experienced, as I said earlier, burnout at age 22. And it was, again, I, I was a high achiever I feel like many of us are. (laughs) And on top of that, it was, I was one of the few people I knew who got a well-paying job in the midst of a recession. And I wanted to make sure that I wouldn't, they wouldn't let me go. Hang on to me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I, so I committed to more hours. I took on extra projects and I remember reaching for the phone. Uh, It was a sunny Saturday in August and to call my parents back in California And I said to them, mom, dad, I've been crying for four hours straight. I don't know why, what's wrong with me. And it began the year of a long, long battle with clinical depression. And I think that as I hinted at before, the initial recovery process started with getting rid of old messages and old parts of me that got me to that place, like habits that were detrimental to my overall mental health, because I cared more about the result and the outcome than the actual journey to get there and whether or not I was, it was fully aligned with who I actually wanted to be. And so of course, at age 22, when you think like, oh, it's too, quote unquote, too late for me. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Oh yeah. (laughs) You know, know. Um, I get it. And you feel like, oh, you know, what's next? And I feel like now, especially I think the American side of the Filipino American side, we kind of are conditioned to think of there's a series of milestones you have to meet in your 20s as an adult to be considered quote unquote successful. And and so me going through that exploration process that eventually ended up on this long, crazy journey that ended up with me being in Spain. I mean, how many times have I literally rewritten my story (laughs) since Mm -hmm. then? And I look back on one of the reasons I put it in a book was because now I've had 
10 years of perspective on when I was first diagnosed with depression to now look back on it and realize what have I been able to do to heal, to stay out of, out of hospitals and away from meds, to, to take care of myself and make sure that I still come back to a place where I'm aligned, where I'm alive, where I am, I'm showing up in the best way possible for myself and for others. And, and I honestly think that whenever, whenever somebody is, it, you don't have to get to a place of burnout or depression or anxiety, but we all arrive at this crossroads of deciding, can we take the path that's carved out in front of us that's easy and comfortable and we know is going to guarantee us security, even if it's not on our terms per se, or do we want to make the most out of the time that we have given to us? And as scary as it is to reinvent ourselves when we feel like we're starting from scratch, do we do that instead? And for those people who want to do that, whoever is listening and is at a crossroads in their life, remember that it's never too late. I mean, you you don't have to wait. I mean, I'm I can say that 10 years out from from where I was uh, crying in that time that in my bedroom in Boston in August mm. to now and how I could not have imagined how I act by choosing to actively take charge of my life and saying that I could take the driver's seat instead of feeling like I was a passenger on a runaway train. I could actually mm-hmm. move my things forward and move myself forward in that way. And and yeah, never if you're thinking it's too late for you, don't because you can always pick up the pen and put it, you know, turn the page and start writing a new chapter for yourself because it's your life. And especially given the context of our conversation today with Jen and Nani, like it's not just your life, it's also how are you going to lift up others who are like us? in the process and, and we're rooting for you. Mm, Amen. Amen to that. (laughs) I love it, man. I totally remember like in my young twenties when I felt like I was like, it was too late. I got this degree and I, you know, I was like failing one job, getting fired from one job after the next. And I just already just felt like a failure in my young professional life. And I feel very grateful because fast forward to today, I enjoy rewriting my story every day. I I love how every day is just like a new chapter that I think it makes it even difficult for me to consider going back to a job because if I work a job, it's like, I always feel like when you're working, you're trying to build up towards something. But when you're in business, it's really up to you on how much you want to build something or if you want to start something new. And I like being able to do that. And I think especially with who we are as, as a hyphen, like live in the hyphen, it really is about reinventing yourself every day and rewriting your story or even refining refining your story. And in a way that hopefully one day all of us can hear that one story where it makes us not angry anymore. We don't, where we don't have to budget our anger as you, <laughs> as you uh, keep saying. And I think if we can all collectively do that, you know, refining or rewriting our story, however you want to do it, there's going to be that one story. And I really believe that that's going to happen one day or maybe a collection of stories that that will lead us to that point where we don't have to be angry anymore. I am just so grateful to talk to you today, Kay, and I feel like we could go on talking forever uh, because everything you say, I feel like speaks to (laughs) something that I'm feeling or have felt really strongly in the past before. The whole burnout thing is definitely something that I've experienced and that I feel like I'm just breaking the surface in coming out of and just starting to kind of 
get the ground back under my feet again and like I'm I'm starting to recognize now the power my own power to be able to do that to to turn the page and just start writing a new story and I'm really blown away at how simple it is because in your mind it's such a big struggle such a big internal struggle that seems like at times there's there's no answer to and like it's never going to get better but it's such a simple answer you just take the wheel so i appreciate you kind of just outlining that experience for us and and sharing that with us today thank you well ladies we covered a lot today and just like what nani said i feel like we can talk forever but we all are in different time zones so someone is probably falling behind on something already. So (laughs) let's go ahead and wrap up. And for any of our listeners that this show had resonated with you, as always, because I'm such a nice host, there are so many ways you can get a hold of us and you can uh, check that out in the show notes. Uh, Or you could always DM us on uh, Instagram. We're pretty active on there. But Kay, do you have any closing thoughts for, for us and for our listeners? I mean, you, you hit it on the head. I feel like what haven't we talked about? It's amazing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I honestly think it's just find ways, whether it's through this podcast or reaching out to other people or just sharing your story more openly with others in a way that you can engage actively and invite others into the conversation because it's just by showing up. It's just by sharing who you are that regardless of whatever you may be feeling, whether it's anger or outrage or not enoughness, if that's even a word, you know, know that you're not alone. Know that there are others like us who are here, who are living this and who, whether our experience are exact parallels to each other or not, we've got your back. If we can collectively continue to inspire each other by showing up and sharing who we are across every arena, every industry, it's what's ultimately going to move all of us forward. And, and yeah, I'm so, I'm super grateful to be connected to you two ladies as a fan of the podcast. And I look forward to continuing to listen to all the stories that are here and, and I, my door, my virtual door in this case (laughs) is open whenever you guys want to talk about these things, because yeah, these conversations are what I live for. They're so enriching and they're so they're so insightful and inspiring. They help us give a voice to struggles and through our joys and our collective experiences in ways that we aren't able to articulate otherwise until we have this container. So no, you're not alone. Yes. And speaking of virtual doors, how can people get a hold of you, Kay, if they want to learn more about the amazing work that you're doing and even just to connect with you overall? Yeah, well, I was going to say you guys are active on Instagram, but I I deleted it a year ago, so not there. <laughs> oh, okay, that explains things. <laughs> that really does, actually. That actually does. <laughs> um, but I'm, so I'm at kfabella.com, so that's the best way to get a hold of me and subscribe to my newsletter. And I talk about, obviously, especially for business owners, but for anyone who wants to be a leader who has a message to share, I'm, I share all my insights there every week. And if you want to get your hands on my first book, and yes, my face is on it. It's very important that my face is on it for other Filipino Americans like us. It's at rewriteyourstorybook.com. And, and I talk about everything that I've learned since burnout at age 22. And, and hopefully, anyone who's at a crossroads, you can learn from the lessons I've, I've gathered on my journey. 
Very, very cool. All right. Well, there you have it, everyone. I want to thank Nani Dominguez for co-hosting with me as always. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. You're welcome. 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 (laughs) 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 And and I want to thank you, Kay, as well. Uh, can't, Can't thank you enough for just this time that we've spent together uh, today. And I know this will be really beneficial for our listeners. And once again, to our listeners, if you want to get a hold of Kay or get a hold of any of us, you will just check that out in the show notes. I'm super generous. I provide all that in there for you. So please take advantage of it. I put a lot of thought into those show notes. So, you know, just keep that in mind. At least check it out just to humor me. (laughs) But yes, uh, thank you all so much. And we look forward to speaking with you all again in the next episode. Tune in next time. Thank you so much.